Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Um, I felt probably around Wednesday, I tried to get my message ready on Thursday, and I just had one of those days where nothing would come together. Uh, if you preach before, sometimes you have days where it happens like that, and then other times where you just go all day. So I was all day till about five o'clock that night, just got so frustrated. So next day I went for a walk, and before you know it, bang, 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 we all fell together. And I really felt this morning, and it's funny because we've experienced it this morning, to talk about pursuing the presence of God, what, what that looks like, and potentially what can hold us back, because I believe this, that God is real, and that His, His presence is real as well. His presence is tangible, that He wants us to experience the, the anointing and the presence of the, the Holy Spirit in order to encourage us. But before we talk about that, the, someone just recently sent me an article, and um, it was some of the, the great minds across the planet that, that are studying all the major faiths across the globe today. And um, one of them uh, in particular made comment about the Christian faith, and uh, it was quite a depressing thing when I saw it because they, they said that they were estimating between 2020 and 2050 that Christianity is going to lose 60 million people to secularism. And I went, wow, that is such a depressing thought when you think about it. But then I started to think about um, um, the church in general, you know, think about our local church and speaking to other pastors and how sad it is today that so many people are stepping away and moving away from their faith that they're falling away from the great conviction and the faith that they had when they began. And I look around today and I think it's just so sad that many, many people are, are just walking away from their great faith in Jesus Christ. And, you know, I think that that is so sad because Jesus, like Glenn said, is worth our all. Amen? But I thought about that secularism, and basically secularism basically means just the removal of any form of truth in the political and the educational arena. In other words, we have societies that are no longer guided by the Word of God, truth, but are now guided by what man or men or women think is the right thing to do. In other words, our parliament at, uh, for, for, for many, many years uh, has been opened in prayer, and many of the, many of the, uh, many of the uh, legislations and many of the rules that are brought in place have been affected by our Christian faith or by our Christian ethos. But, you know, we're seeing that changing. We're seeing that changing very, very dramatically, even with the, the same-sex marriage. You know, in 1960, it was established that marriage was between a man and a woman. There was a legislation that was uh, reaffirmed in our parliament then. But, you know, we're, we're living in a, in a time and an age where in another six months' time, um, I could be prosecuted for refusing to marry uh, a same-sex couple. Or I could be charged for standing up here and declaring what the Word of God says because it offends people. But secularism will draw people away. Because what it does, it affects our thinking. No longer do we come to the Word of God to truth and believe the Word of God of truth. Now the culture is affecting our thinking and the way that we think and the way that we view life. And before you know it, uh, we go from somebody that was really strong in faith to somebody now that's really not quite sure about their faith. But then I was thinking during the week and went for a push bike ride. No, it was another walk. And I started to ask the Holy Spirit, well, what is the antidote? For secularism, how do we stay strong? And Gary shared a great message last Sunday morning and Sunday night about that. And it must be the Holy Spirit wanting to reaffirm it again. But how do we stay strong in this world that's continually trying to, to dilute and to break down and to destroy the Christian heritage in our country? How do we stay strong in the midst of an environment like that? And I believe there were two things. The first one, as Gary said last week, was living in community. Amen? Living in community. And Gary shared so powerfully about that. 
that as Christians, the way that we are going to be strong and the way that we are going to continue to maintain our faith and, and, and to be encouraged in our faith is to be a part of a small community of believers. That is, we rock up here on a Sunday and we get exposed to the Word of God, but then during the week as well, there's got to be some time and some place in our week where we're meeting with other believers for the purpose of being encouraged and fellowshipping with one another and challenging the mindsets that the world might want to try and bring upon us. Amen? So the first thing was community. That's the first antidote towards secularism and not allowing our minds to be, to be corrupted and compromised by what the world and the... Have you noticed how biased the media is? <laughs> Have you noticed? Any thought of truth, any thought of, of, of the Christian faith is held down. In fact, we're being called haters today. They don't even know me, and now they're calling me a hater. How bizarre is that? So, the first thing is community. The second thing is the presence of God. And this morning, you might be thinking, Shane, what on earth are you talking about? Well, I just want to unravel a little bit this morning because I believe that there is so much more of God's presence for us to experience. In fact, I believe that one touch from God is enough, us to, is enough to keep us on the right road for many years. Amen. One encounter with the living God has the potential to affect our future and our eternity. One touch from heaven has enough to change our mindset, to take it from thinking like the world to thinking like the Word of God. Amen. You know, in our church, we sing a song uh, called Holy Spirit. And the words I wanted to read to you today, it says, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what I'm searching for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. This morning, as I said, I want to speak on pursuing the presence of God. I wanted to start with the greatest invitation that we would ever hear in life. In Revelation 3, verse 20, many preachers can use this as a salvation and an altar call, but I believe that this is to the church. And it says this in Revelation 3:20. Look, I've been standing at the door of our hearts, and I am constantly knocking. If anyone hears me calling and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. That's the greatest invitation that we could ever experience in life, for us to open up our lives and open up our hearts and to be able to fellowship with the King of glory. There is no greater invitation in life than that. And I believe this God wants us to experience more of His presence. For some of us this morning, we might say that sounds like a really strange thing. But I believe that experiencing God's presence in a greater way is what God is calling us to. And the truth about God's presence is this, number one, God is omnipresent. Amen? It's one of the characteristics of God. God is omnipresent. What does that mean? God is everywhere. Amen? The, the bottom of the ocean, God is there. The, 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 anywhere you go, God is, God is omnipresent. But I also believe that there are times where God wants us to experience His presence that we feel and that we know without exception that God is here with us right now. We are overwhelmed with an awe. We are overwhelmed with a sense of holiness. We are overwhelmed with a sense of, of admiration. We know that the atmosphere is just so holy and so pure. We know without exception. We, we, we get to a point where we're worried about opening up our mouths and saying the wrong thing because we're in the presence of this living God. And that's what I believe God wants us to talk about this morning and to discuss. And there's a great verse in 2 Chronicles, I think it is, if we could bring it up on the screen, the next one. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1 through to 2. 
And I just love it because it just so encourages me. Because listen to what it says. It says, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. I love that verse of Scripture there. I just think it's so, so encouraging. And you know, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for glory was translated as kabod, K-O-B-O-D. And literally the definition of the word kabod means weight. They were experiencing the weight of God's presence. God's presence was so thick. And I wanted to ask this morning, could we as a church begin to declare and, and dream that God's glory and God's presence could be so great as we come together that people will find it hard to get into that door because of the weight of God's presence? I'm losing some of you now, I know. But I'm on, a, I'm on a journey. If God could do that in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, of course He can do it today, and even in greater degrees today under the New Covenant. But all it takes is hungry hearts. All it takes is people with a desire and a greater hunger for the presence of God to say, God, I just don't want to continue to live with this dry, intellectual, boring Christianity. I want to encounter the same Jesus that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus that changed Saul's life in the book of Acts chapter 9 when Saul, the accuser, and the destroyer of the brethren was traveling along. A bright light came out so bright that it changed his life changed his world forever jesus is real his holy spirit is alive in acts chapter 4 verse 12 when the disciples gathered together and they were facing some persecution they started to pray and the bible said that when they finished their prayer the place in which they prayed shook that's a prayer meeting that's a prayer meeting that's a gathering together and i believe this morning that God is so wanting us to get a hunger in our hearts to experience more of His tangible presence. So I was thinking on Friday morning, two things. What are the things that stop us from pursuing a greater presence of God in our lives? Number one, the first thought is this, having feelings of unworthiness. Many people struggle with this. So many people struggle with it. In fact, if you were to be honest, probably a, a large majority of us in this building this morning struggle with feelings of not being worthy. Not being worthy in the eyes of God. Thoughts of unworthiness can stop us from believing that God wants us to encounter His presence. We say things like, God, look at my past. But you know what God says? What past? As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from me. But we say, God, look at my past. Or, God, look at my life. It's far from perfect. None of us are perfect. There's only one perfect person. That's Jesus Christ. But you and I, we're on the road to perfection. Amen. We're on the journey of perfection. Stop looking at your life and thinking, I've got to be perfect. You never will be perfect until the day you breathe your last and you're in eternity with the one that gave his life for you. Amen. Amen. But we can say, God, look at me. I'm not perfect. We're going to allow unworthiness, feelings of unworthiness to hold us back. We just need to understand this, that He has made us worthy. It's not about you and what you've done. It's all about Jesus and what He has done for us. So let's stop feeling unworthy. 
the scripture here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. Don't you love that this morning? In fact, I love this story of a woman in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 38. If anyone had reasons to feel unworthy, it was this person. But I love the fact that she overcame the feelings of unworthiness and then encountered the living Christ. It says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him, a religious leader, asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. That's worship. See it? That's worship. She began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of of, of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Lord, may our worship in this place be so extravagant. May, Lord, may we come into this house every Sunday and have such an extravagant love for you like this woman did, Lord. This woman was known as a sinner. She was a known prostitute. But here she is party crashing, an all-male party, an all-male religious party, an all-male very pious party. But what I love is this, Jesus doesn't reject her, he embraces her. The whole party gets put on hold because of this one woman. And the truth is you and I are worthy and God wants us to come to him expecting us to encounter his presence. God's God's arms are open wide. Amen. James chapter 4 says, uh, um, um, what does it say? It says, yeah, it says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. But I want you to look at the emphasis there. Who is the first one to initiate the, 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 the contact or initiate the, the engagement? It's draw near to me, us drawing near to God. And as we do that, God will draw near to us. But we can allow unworthiness. God, I'm not good enough. Yes, you are. Because he made you worthy. He made you worthy. We need to, to get, get to a, a place where we're just saying, God, I thank you. I know I'm not worthy, but I'm coming into your presence because you, you want me to experience the tangibleness of your love, the tangibleness of your peace, the tangibleness of your joy. So, Father, I put all that stuff away. And I come to you like a little child. Amen? A little child, child-like faith. So feeling unworthy can so hold us back from experiencing more of the presence of God. The second thing, the second thought that I felt the Holy Spirit gave us is that our lives are too full. Thank you, Glenn, for sharing that thought there this morning. That our lives are too full. We've all heard the expression, living life to the full, but could it be that our lives are too full to experience God's presence? Too full. Too busy. Too much going on to stop, to take the time. For some of us, it can be pride and the thoughts of being a self-made person. These things will rob us from experiencing God. And our, our lives can be filled with all sorts of things, filled, filled with entertainment, consumed by how we look. I've never had that problem. Consumed with money, the pursuit of money. <laughs> because I know I'm not that good looking, so why bother? 
consumed with money. That's all we think about. Or consumed by our possessions. You know, I always know when I come here on, on a Sunday morning, when I drive out of my, my, my neighborhood and I drive through, I always know what's, what people are consumed by. You know how I know? Because they're out polishing their car or their caravan or their boat. But you and I aren't like that. We're consumed by him because we come here every Sunday morning with a heart that says, God, we want to know more of you. We want to learn more about you. We want to encounter more about you as well. Amen. But you can tell what people are consumed by, by what they give their hearts and their time to. Amen. Let's never be like that. Let's continue to be the faithful that come, giving our hearts and our lives and our times to him. Amen. So we find out what consumes people by what they give their time to. And I believe this this morning. God wants and must have first place in our lives. He is Lord of all or not Lord at all. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, You cannot serve mammon and, and God. You cannot have two masters. Something has to and will always become priority in your life. And our prayer this morning for all of us is that God would be first place in our lives, that we would not allow mammon and the deceitfulness of money and possession to override and overtake that commitment to always keeping God first in our lives. Amen? But our lives can get so full. Rachel Immerside shared two Sunday nights, I believe it was, on Matthew chapter 19, shared the money of the rich young ruler. He wanted to follow God. He, he, he was trying to live a good life, but Jesus spoke right into his life because Jesus saw that his heart was full with greed and the desire for possessions. Jesus challenged him on that. He said, your heart's too full. There's no space for me in your heart because your heart is full of the love of possessions. The young man went away sad because Jesus challenged him to give it all up to follow him. But the Bible says that he was saddened because he had great possession. You see, our hearts can be so, so full that there's no space, there's no room within us for experiencing and counting the presence of God. I want to finish this morning with the story, the story of Naaman in 2 Kings um, chapter 5. I'll be very brief and then we'll be done. But this highlights, this highlights about having too much in our hearts, too many things in our hearts, not, a, not room in our hearts for God. And we read the story here in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through to 6. I'll read it for you this morning, then we conclude. Now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man. Listen to this, in the eyes of his master. Not in the eyes of God, the eyes of his master. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria, he was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She, wa she waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master thus and thus, said the girl who was from the land of Syria. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed with him and took with him ten, ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing." great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. I want to set the picture. He's coming to the prophet who represents God Almighty and he's filled with thoughts as he travels, filled with thoughts of his greatness, filled with thoughts of all the honor that he receives from man, filled with all the thoughts of the great valor, the things that he's done in, in the past. 
and his saddlebags are filled with money. He's on his journey and he's looking to impress. But listen to what takes place. In verses 8, it says, So he went to Elijah, the man of God. So it was, excuse me. When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elisha sent, to, sent a messenger and saying to him, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Fair command. Nothing too difficult about that. But this is the pride that starts to be revealed in the heart of Naaman. His heart is so full of pride. This is what it says, verse 11. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand all over the place and heal the leprosy. Naaman was infuriated and offended that the man of God didn't take the time to come out and stand before him and do some sort of special ceremony and wave his hand all around. I love that bit of you. Wave his hand all around. Naaman is so arrogant. He is so full of himself. He says, how dare God tell me to go and wash in the River Jordan seven times, to take my clothes off, wash into the River Jordan seven times to take my clothes off. He says, how rude. How arrogant of the prophet. Doesn't he know that there are better rivers to wash from where I come from? And yet he's telling me to wash in the River Jordan, this disgusting river, the River Jordan. How dare he tell me to do that? And he walks away in disgust, full of pride, full of arrogance. And the whole thought is this. He's about to lose the miracle that God, through the prophet, was wanting to give him. You read the story. The story goes on. One of his servants who, who uh, is there brings uh, some words of encouragement. And this is what took, takes place. Uh, and his servants, in verse 13, And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more when he says to you, you should wash, wash and clean. So he goes down to the river, takes off his clothes, puts down his sword, gets out of his golden chariot, takes off his badge of authority, strips himself naked before all, and dips seven times in the River Jordan. And he comes out of the River Jordan totally free of leprosy. The point is this, that Naaman had to empty himself of all of his pride, of all of his badges, of all of his um, self-thought importance before he received the miracle that God had for him. And I wonder for us as people before God as well, are we so full of our own things and our own agendas that we're, that we're missing out on more of the presence of God in our lives to experience it, to experience Him? Please don't think I'm a whack job this morning. I'm not. You know, 
There's a greater presence that God wants us to experience as Christians. There's a greater presence. There's a greater time in prayer that God wants us to experience. There's a greater opportunity of seeking more and experiencing more of this God. He's, he's real and He's alive and He's tangible. But it takes us the ability to throw off our unworthiness and to empty our hearts of the stuff that could be filling our hearts in order to be able to receive. Listen to these last couple of things as we finish this morning. There are people here today that may well not experience the presence of God in their lives until they begin to empty their lives of the things that are keeping God out. Matthew chapter 16, 25, 27. Whoever who desires to save his life will lose it. But ever who loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profits, what profit is it to a man or a woman if he gains or she gains the whole world and loses their own soul? Or what gain or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Yesterday afternoon as I came here, and I like to do that on Saturdays, just to spend an hour or so just going over the message and just praying through. And this is the thought that I've, I feel the Holy Spirit gave me at the end. There are people here today that God is calling to begin to treasure His presence again. There are people here today that God is calling to treasure His presence again. This great promise here. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. If I could have the keyboard, please. That would be lovely. And um, Lisa as well, please. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. It says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Amen. Oh, thank you. I forgot we had, didn't have a keyboard. <laughs> oh, all right, I will. You know, this morning as we were just praying and ministering for people, I had feelings just of being overwhelmed with, with God, the Holy Spirit tangibly feel like a cloud just comes down on this place and <laughs> cuckoo remember the word glory kabod what's kabod stand for wait they experienced in second chronicles chapter 7 god wants us to experience more of his presence this morning as well. Living in community, daily committed to his presence. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning? Amen.